Will you please pray with me? God of mercy, pain, joy, and glory, guide our hearts and minds to hear the good news in the midst of everlasting change and uncertainty. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated if you are here with us or if you're at home. And good morning. It is so good to be back with you today. Thank you all for praying for my family. My mom is now home and resting. I'm grateful for all of your messages, emails, calls, but most importantly for all of your prayers. Well, God has quite a sense of humor. If you had any doubt about this, today's message for me may just change your mind. You may not know this about me, but conversations around politics can make me very nervous. And having to address this gospel that comes out of our lectionary page that cycles every three years, the week after early voting has started, and a few weeks away from election day, God has a sense of humor. So here I am, trying to find this passage in the other gospels, to help get a better sense of how to interpret these few verses today. But I wasn't successful because, as you may or may not know, this particular part of the story is only found in this gospel, in the Gospel of Mark. God has a sense of humor. We can run, but we can't hide from God. To find some meaning to what God is saying to us today, we need to take a closer look at what was currently happening when it took place. Our author here presents us with a few characters. We see the Pharisees and the Herodians, two different groups of people who are completely different. Herodians are believed to have been followers of Herod, which would therefore be in conflict with what the Pharisees believed and stood for. But they do have one thing in common. They're not fans of Jesus. The Pharisees sent their disciples along with the Herodians, which means and tells us, the readers, that both groups knew exactly what they wanted to do. They had thought this through. They were convinced that Jesus would fall for their trap, referring to Jesus as teacher sarcastically saying, you are sincere, because we believe that, that is a fact. Teach the way of God, also a fact. But did they believe those words? No. They want Jesus to answer, because whether an answer of yes or of no, Jesus would lose either way, either be arrested or be killed. Ah. Here comes the climax in this story. Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought Jesus a coin. Pharisees and Herodians had this in their possession. And then Jesus' eloquent and just right response, and what most of us hear, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus used this as a teachable moment. 
There was the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of Rome, and then there's this kingdom of God that is, that is different and for all. And it is important to get this right. I think that we cannot separate this passage from the whole story. Some may say that Jesus' response here is one that calls for a separation between our religions and politics. Perhaps to say that what God is calling for is an allegiance to a government, an allegiance that is in question. But I think that this is why it's so important to read the whole story. Jesus' life would not support that idea. This would imply that Jesus was not political, that Jesus did not speak up for justice, which is not the case. Jesus is political. Jesus' death was a political execution. Jesus was crucified for, for political reasons. And Jesus' response is fully motivated by his faith. Jesus believed that the kingdom of God was for all. Today, our decisions are the same, including our political ones. Whatever religion, whatever faith, they guide the decisions we make. And when Jesus says, to God the things that are God's, those of us who believe in the kingdom of God know that that includes us. All of me. All of you. We belong to God. This also reflects what being in relationship with God is about. It's not force. We are invited into relationship. We decide if we will accept the salvation offered to us. Jesus with his words claiming who God is for. And Jesus' words match Jesus' actions. Jesus walked with all, taught to all, deciding who we all belong to. This passage is reminding us that we are made in the image of God, and that because we are made in the image and likeness of God, we learn from Jesus' example. So, as we start preparing for the upcoming elections in this country, let us remember how political Jesus was. How the desire to make God's kingdom for all guided his every action. And ask yourselves and ourselves where we fit into that picture. And as I stand here, hands sweating, I am reminded who I belong to. I am reminded that difficult conversations are needed today. That political conversations may make me very uncomfortable, but the injustice in the world has become unbearable. That we cannot separate our faith from our political decisions. That we can engage in our civic duties and responsibilities and also question the different systems that we are a part of. That we can engage in dialogue with others who do not think like we do. That we can empathize with others. That we can try to understand the pain of others and their experiences. And that we can ask the difficult questions. 
that we can speak out against society's treatment of oppressed groups of people. We can commit to listening to the anger and the voices of brown, black, indigenous, and all people of color. Listening, like Jesus did to Lazarus' sisters after his death. That we can welcome the stranger, because we have the examples of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were strangers all of their lives. To listen when we tell you that these difficult conversations matter, and that sometimes we will be wrong. That today, even American theologian Renal Niebuhr, who I read a lot about in seminary, may have been incorrect in his response to the 1954 Supreme Court decision that ended segregation in public schools when he said that black people would have to exercise patience and be sustained by a robust faith that history will gradually fulfill the logic of justice. It's 2020. Where is the justice? That you and I can no longer stay silent. That we cannot say that diversity and representation matter when our fill in the blank friends, families, schools, churches, courts have no people of color represented. Or when we confuse diversity with tokenism. Because, as theologian James Cone tells us, there is no justice without power, and there is no power with one, two, or three tokens. You cannot say my life matters, but not have the uncomfortable conversation about illegal immigration and the role it plays in my family. And I cannot say that I support my black siblings just because I have a black friend. That I cannot say that I am not racist if, not, if I'm not doing the work of anti-racism as an active role. That I cannot love my neighbor and not speak out against systems that seek to harm them. Friends, this is scary. This is hard. And doing this while in isolation, during these times of fear, I don't have the answer. There is no easy answer. But I know that in Jesus, we have an example of how our faith can guide and shift not only our stories, but have a long-lasting impact in the lives of others. That God delights in our particularities. That yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we give God what is God's. And if you ever wonder who belongs to God, 
Know that it is you. It is me. You are God's. And you are made in God's image. And we can follow Jesus' example of loving and welcoming all into this wonderful, life-giving kingdom of God. Amen.